So how are you doing, Joshua? I'm doing okay. I'm a little stressed out right now because I am going to be deleting my Facebook. <gasps> dun dun dun! That I have had for the last 11 years. Wow. I think you're making a wonderful step. I haven't had Facebook in three years. I've never once regretted it. I have often thought about deleting my Facebook, but I've just felt so inexplicably tied to it in different ways that the idea of just canceling it seemed way too difficult. Um, But lately, with everything that's been going on, um, it's really emphasized to me how much it's not helping me. Um, the negative effect that it's having on me, um, especially my mental health. So I've been really motivated to do it this time, especially thinking about all the different ways to make sure that I'm not causing a problem when I when I do delete it. So I'm, I'm giving it a little more thought than just like, bang, I'm done. Yeah, it was a process for me too. It started with deactivating it. And then I kept a messenger for a while, but then I got entirely off of messenger so I could delete the whole thing. I have it a little bit easier because um, I have I can use somebody else's Facebook for managing my Facebook pages. In that way, I'll still be able to manage my pages. Um, I'm not going to do Messenger, though, um, and I'm not going to have my account. That's nice. I think one thing you had said earlier is that you're inexplicably tied to it, but it's pretty explicable while you're tied to it. It's because they've tied you to it. Facebook's done a really good job of making it not just a place where you go to connect with people, but a place where you think you have to go to do everything and where you get trapped you're, you're absolutely right it's it's when i started to think about all the ways that i was connected to it over the years i was like oh shit like i have to make sure that i'm not connected to i don't have my facebook connected to my goodreads anymore otherwise i'm not going to be able to access my goodreads that i've had for the last 10 mm. years yeah um and that was like, a struggle for me too is like creating up accounts and changing passwords and changing logins yeah, it's it's a lot to do, and I you know I can see why most people just don't want to do it. They definitely make it more difficult than it should be, just by the fact that they have worked so hard to get you to put roots down into it, which is literally what it's like. Um, so I've been really stressed out about the whole situation. You know, making small steps towards doing it. Um, I'm still really really anxious about it um when i'm fine when it's finally going to be done what are you most anxious about if you had to rank your anxieties about deleting facebook what would the top one be i don't know i guess i'm just worried that i'm forgetting something that i'm going to delete it without having thought about something that it was going to affect negatively Um, i'm also kind of stressed out about how it's convenient to have a lot of people I know in one place because I know lots of people from all over the country. Cause I've lived here in Portland. I've lived in Mississippi. I've lived in New Hampshire. Um, and I know people from all across the country and it's, it's a convenient way of interacting with them, but it's not, it's not worth it though. Yeah. I think you adjust to interacting more regularly with fewer people. Well, and that occurred to me too. Like maybe it's, maybe that's a good thing. Like, I don't, there's a lot of people on there I don't even need to be friends with uh, that I don't interact with. And like, it's not going to make that big of a deal. And maybe I should be concentrating more on the people that, you know, are actually around me. Yeah, it can help you live more in the moment. One of the things, one of the comments I got frequently when I was deleting my Facebook 
and I would tell everyone else, delete your Facebook too, was that they just didn't understand how to keep in touch with people. And one, I'd be like, you still have a phone. You can still text people. And they would be like, well, how do I see so-and-so's pictures? I'm like, you still have a phone. They can text you pictures of their baby for you to look at. For me, anyway, my communication became much more intentional instead of accidental. My, oh, I decided who I wanted to talk to instead of letting Facebook decide who I talked to. Yes, and there is a great appeal to me in that. Um, yeah, because yeah. For, for me, sorry, but for me, I decided that I didn't want to talk to most people. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people I don't want to talk to anymore. I mean, I've changed a considerable amount over the last 10 years and discovered that, you know, some people I'm no longer interested in having that connection to. And I also realized that there's a lot of other ways that people can interact with me on the internet. I mean, I do have Instagram accounts. I have Twitter. I have, I, I you know, I have a phone. They can text me if they need to. Um, I don't know why it seems like such a major thing to do. You also host the premier podcast on analyzing pop culture from a queer viewpoint. That's right. I do. People can write in and say hi and ask us questions that we might address on the air. They certainly can. I found Facebook. So I'm trying to remember how long I even had one. I was late to the Facebook game. I probably signed up for one maybe in 2010, 2011. And I found it a very stressful experience because people would add me and I'd be like, who the, how the fuck is this? Like, I didn't want to ever see this person who I have not seen since 2001. What are they going to say to me? What are we going to talk about? I found it so anxiety inducing. And eventually I let go of that a little bit and saw it more as this mimicry of life. Like I was kind of treating it like real life. Like what if this person were just to show up or to worse to call me? Right. And so I saw it again as the simulation of life and then became obsessed with that simulation and went down my own spiraling rabbit hole where I didn't like my own behavior on the platform. And my own behavior of, like, constantly checking it to see if I was getting attention. Yes. So I found it best just to cut it off. Who are you? I know you're the host of the premier podcast about popular media from a queer viewpoint. I am. I am Joshua Gross. And I'm Chance Squirrel Friendly. (laughs) And this is a gross bit of gross misinterpretation. As Chance said, the premier podcast about popular media from a queer viewpoint. Yes. So, yeah, so you're going to talk about your Queer of the Year, I believe. Is that correct? That's right. We are at 1993, and a lot happened in 1993, and I have a lot to say about a few different things, so I really want to just move right on to that. Well, before you do, I've got to say, Queer of the Year! Queer of the Year! Wonderful. Thank you for that intro. You are welcome. It wouldn't be Queer of the Year if we didn't do the intro. You're right. That's mm-hmm. that's what makes the whole segment. It makes the whole segment. The Q-O-T-Y. Uh, the top movies of 1993 were Jurassic Park. Oh, classic. Yes, and I was a major fan in 1993. I probably saw that at least three or four times at the theater. I think I only saw it once, but I did really enjoy it. The uh, The Fugitive came out in 1993. So I just watched The Fugitive maybe last year. Yeah, me too. I watched it pretty recently for the first time. What did you think? I thought it was long and dumb and confusing. 
And Julianne Moore was great. <laughs> I know. When Julianne Moore pops up for like three seconds as like a nameless doctor, I almost lost my mind. Yeah. I don't know this name. So Wesley Allen Dodd was a child molester and serial killer who lived in Vancouver, Washington. Oh, that's where you lived. That's where I grew up as a child. Yeah. And in 1993, he was executed by the state of Washington. He um, he chose the option of hanging, and it was the first hanging in Washington State since 1965. What were the other options, like lethal injection? And it was lethal injection. Firing squad. Just lethal injection. Death by chocolate. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's what I would choose. If that was an option, that would be a good choice, but it unfortunately is not. I feel like that's a good 1993 joke that my mom would tell. That's why I chose Yes. Anyway, Wesley Allen Dodd was a really gross person, um, and he knew it. He knew. (laughs) But not in the gross misinterpretations way. That's right. He's he's a yucky person. Um, And he, he knew that he was a monster and that he would continue to prey on children, um... Which is why he flat out told them, you're going to have to kill me because I will just keep attacking and molesting children. So he also killed children? He killed. So he only killed children. Yikes. Okay. molested them and then killed them. Oh my heavens. Um, Two of the children that he killed were wandering in the woods next to David Douglas Park in Vancouver, Washington, which is where I played Little League in first, third, fourth, fifth grade. What did you do in second grade? Second grade was in 1990 when Wesley Allen Dodd was living in Vancouver and we had moved to New Jersey, thankfully. So oh. I, it's like fate intervened. Wow. Yeah, that's intense. Because it's scary to think about. Like if we hadn't moved to New Jersey, I, I would have been there playing baseball the same year that Wesley Allen Dodd's looking for kids to kill. And yeah, molest. that's insane. So that was that was really chilling when I read about that. He eventually was caught um, trying to abduct a child from a movie theater in Camas, Washington. He was going to movie theaters and going into um, kids' movies at the time, which was also very chilling because I, I went to see a lot of those movies at the time. It was like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and The Bear. And he would go in there and try to find kids that were leaving to go to the bathroom by themselves. Oh, my God. Um, and, and abduct them from the bathroom. Unfortunately, the the kid he tried to take, um, he made some he made kind of a fuss or something because somebody noticed him taking the kid and chased after him in his car and managed to to apprehend him. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's it's a pretty terrible story all around. 1993 was also the year that Bill Clinton announced his brilliant policy of don't ask, don't tell. Ugh. Which basically meant that if you were in the military and you were a queer, um, don't tell anybody about it. And nobody could ask you if you were a queer. It was just going to be a big secret. That way you could keep, you know, fighting and giving your life for your country. Right. And But only hiding your entire identity. Right. I wish you could hear my eyes rolling on the microphone. I, I think I can. <laughs> My eyes are a little dry from allergies. I was going to say, those are some crusty eyes. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't put my Visine in. So that that quality, a bit of uh, policy went through in 1993. Do you remember when uh, when that stopped being a thing? Um, It lasted until September 20th, 2011. 
Holy cow. Um, what is that, three years into the Obama administration? Yeah. So, let's see, repeal. Uh, it does say he, uh, Senator Barack Obama advocated a full repeal of the laws during the 2008 U.S. presidential campaign. Um, I do remember him still having to be kind of cagey about his feelings about the gay community in those early days, though. Right, because his thought process evolved later on. Also in 93, we have the very first mention of Y2K. Ah! I know. Can you believe it? <laughs> I did, I mean, obviously, I didn't hear about Y2K until like 1999 when everybody was losing their shit about it. Yeah, and in 1999, I was like, I was such a mess and so on drugs that I only had like the vaguest understanding of what Y2K is. I just knew that when I had the time, I'd worry about it. Well, you'll have to talk about this again when you do Queer of the Year for 1999. Yes, I will do the shit out of it. I do have a little bit more to say about Y2K, but I'll save it for that segment. What if you forget? Oh, I won't. In 1993, at the MTV Music Awards, RuPaul Oh, let's stop. Stop, 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 stop. We got a lot to explain here. What, Joshua, in the year of our Lord 2020, what is MTV? MTV is music television. It started in, what, the early 80s? Yeah. And it was a television station that was supposed to be for all things music and like rock and roll and music videos and in the early days it was pretty cool in 1993 it was still kind of cool but it was like on the downhill slide but we still thought it was pretty cool it was like mainstream cool right and um and every year in the early 90s we'd always watch the mtv music awards because you never knew what the hell was going to happen on them and it was kind of a, a a funner edgier award show that's the one where they gave away the little moon men right they had little trophies right yeah they had the moon man trophies is this the award show like i only re- i i wasn't watching it this time but later is this the same award show where like Britney Spears did I'm I'm a slave for you. Was that MTV Music Awards? Probably. And MTV like, Music Awards was definitely the one where uh, Madonna and Britney and Christina all kissed each other. Yes, 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 yes. So is this the same as the Video Music Awards, the VMAs? Did they get rebranded? Oh, no. It's the MTV Video Music Awards. Oh, oh okay. Gotcha. Okay. In 1993, at that year's mtv video music award rupaul and milton burl were presenting the viewer's choice award to aerosmith together oh God. <laughs> somebody thought that this would be a fun combination well so uh, d- this was the same award show then where they had martha stewart and busta rhymes probably so present an award yeah so this this may maybe was one of the early versions of their stunt casting for presenters mtv did think this was like the height of hilarity and rupaul thought it was the dumbest thing ever so who's milton burl milton burl um was a very old man even in 1993 he was born in 1908 um, and he's an american comedian and actor and his career as an entertainer spanned 80 years and so did his dick Apparently, he was known as Uncle Milty and Mr. Television during the first golden age of television, according to Wikipedia. I also found an article. So the show that he hosted 
<laughs> was like, what was it? The Texaco Star uh, Showcase or something. <laughs> Just in case you didn't, you needed a reminder that television only existed to sell products. NBC's Texaco Star Theater from 1948 <laughs> to 55. Like, they didn't even try to hide it. Like, they were just like, nope, this is the Texaco Star Theater. Go get your gas at Texaco. Yeah, a lot of shows were like that in the early days. I did. So I did read an article about Texaco Star Theater, and it said that he did often invite um, many black performers on the show, which angered viewers. So that might have been the one and only progressive thing Milton Berle ever did. Yeah, I'm going to guess it probably was the one and only. Yeah. So what was he doing in 1993? He would have been, what, 81? Yeah, he was old. Okay. Uh, like, so RuPaul is super tall. Excuse me. Super tall, wearing this glittering black gown with these piles of cur- blonde curls on top of her head. So she looks like an Amazon and he Sorry, is next Josh, to her. Sorry, a Glamazon, please. Oh, yes. A Glamazon, of mm. course. And Milton Burl standing next to her. Very short, very old, very wrinkled, very loud, like a big grumpy raisin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's like the opposite of the California raisins. Like, still a raisin, but like, completely not cool. Right. And as they're walking out, you can already tell that RuPaul is annoyed about something. And they have this whole, like, little bit they're supposed to do and read from the prompter. But RuPaul was very upset with Milton Berle. Apparently, some things happened backstage. He was a little grabby, Mm. I guess. He was a little grabby while they were on stage. He, uh, at one point, he tried to rest his elbow on her bust. Oh, my. Um... Yes. Um, anyway, so she was pretty pissed off by the time they got out there. And he said, um, you know, back in my day, I used to wear dresses. Um, and RuPaul turns to him and says, and yes, and now you wear diapers. <laughs> I remember this. I must have seen it like on the Today Show the next day or something. He uh, At first, he was um, going by instinct, I think, with um, like comedian improv instinct, because he was kind of nodding and smiling, and then he realized what she said. And then you could visibly see him, like, become upset. Yeah. Like, I think he actually turned to her and said, why did you say that? Um, but it's, it's, un- it's quiet. You can't hear it. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then he gets mad and says, oh... You're ad-libbing. You want to ad-lib? I'll check my brain at the door and we can start with a, a clear playing field. Wow. So it just deteriorated from there. And I actually saw this live in 1993 as it was happening. And I was just like, oh my God. It was just like so dramatic. It was like the most dramatic thing I'd seen happen on live television at that point. <laughs> and since then, RuPaul has said that she, you know, she regrets... Um, that's the, the situation, how, um, she felt like she could have, she should have handled it better. She should have just told him to get his motherfucking hands off of her backstage mm-hmm. and then gone out on stage and, you know, been a professional, but she was like, I was young and, um, easily pissed off. Yeah. I guess how, how old was RuPaul at this time? I don't know as much about, um, her career. Cause this was before she had the the vh1 show right like she had a vh1 show later on 
I really, I only knew about RuPaul from um, the Love Shack video. RuPaul's one of those celebrities where I don't know how I know who she is. You know, I've just always known. Yes, I have too. Like, I remember specifically those things, like the, the Video Music Awards and the Brady Bunch movie. But I don't remember when I first knew that she was a, a thing. Right. Um, she was born in 1960. Okay, so she so was 33. Yeah, 33, and she's 59 now. Okay. So that isn't that young. I mean... Well, compared to Milton Pearl. <laughs> and, I and, guess. And young in her career. I mean, again, this would have been a big platform for someone of her, where she was in her career. Well, I suppose that's true also. So Maybe. If you were, you know, I could be wrong. Well, as far as mainstream. Right, exactly. Um, I know, like, one other thing she did around the time period was, like, the Arsenio Hall show. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. I wasn't, I couldn't stay awake past, like, 7.30, so I never watched that. I loved the Arsenio Hall show. I just remember people going, ooh, 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 ooh. Yeah, they like to do that. I never understood that part, but I liked the rest of the show. Oh, oh, oh. I sound more like Horshack from Welcome Back, Cotter, because I'm too white for Arsenio <laughs> Hall, but <laughs> but you get the picture. <laughs> I knew what you meant, yes. Thank you. So what else uh, happened on the, the MTV Video Music Awards in 1993? Anything? She lost it altogether and just started outright mocking him. Um, oh like, he had to make this really lame joke about... Um, about something i don't even remember now but it was a lame joke that he had been required to, to read off the teleprompter i'm sure um as he's trying to get the the thing back on board and she was like way to go uncle milty that was a good one and it's like clapping her hands really loudly and bent over as if her sides are splitting <laughs> so what do you i mean so i mean what do you think have you ever told someone off like that and then regretted it later Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I've made a, I've made a career out of that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, sometimes, most of the time I, when I yell at people, I then feel good about it for years. There's okay. Well, yes, I do like yelling at people also, but there's been a few times where I know where I've just been like, okay, well, I probably should have reined that in a little bit. Um, especially at times when I was like trying to quit smoking or, you know, especially stressed out. Well, there's that, and then there's, like, you feel like that there's been some sense of injustice, and you need to speak out about it. Yes. And boy, if I can do anything, it's turn any slight against me into an extreme injustice. Oh, is is that true? Yeah, I'm an icon. I was just being funny. <laughs> well, it's, it's true. <laughs> and I feel like I've done my part by speaking up and not letting this is not gonna happen again! Wonderful. So I support RuPaul. Yes, I definitely... And I, I support 1993 RuPaul. Uh, yes, I do too. Um, things have changed since 1993. Well, one thing that hasn't changed is I still love seeing old white men get humiliated on television. Oh, yeah, I like it more. Like, yeah. I've just... Gen- generally, that has increased as I've gotten older. We need a RuPaul to come, like in the audience of the eventual presidential debates that'll probably be on Skype or something and just tell off Joe Biden. Yes, that would be hilarious. Yeah. Maybe one of the RuPaul's uh, younger queens can do that for us. That would be fun. Maybe like Alyssa Edwards or somebody. (laughs) So I was looking at the winners of the song, the winners of the awards that year. It is 
quite the mix of things. Um, most of them, well, I shouldn't say most of them I don't know, but a lot of them I don't know because I wasn't really listening to music if it wasn't on adult contemporary radio at the time. So some of the winners are, as you said, Aerosmith, Viewer's Choice, Living on the Edge. Yeah, that was the one that had, um, what's her name from Clueless? Alicia Silverstone in it, I think. Oh, uh, Maybe I have seen that one. I block Aerosmith from my memory. Um, so other winners include Pearl Jam. Oh, I love Pearl Jam. For Jeremy, that's a popular song, right? That's a good one, yeah. Um, Lenny Kravitz one for Are You Gonna Go My Way. That is a kick-ass song. That is like his best song. Oh, okay. Madonna one for Rain. I don't know even know this song. That was on her Erotica album. The video was kind of um, uh, boring. It was really pretty, and it kind of had a like a behind-the-scenes of making a video aspect to it, so I think that's probably why it won, but it was otherwise kind of boring. Yeah, it went art direction and cinematography. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, Peter Gabriel picked up a few. He was still relevant at the time for Steam. Was that... Oh, okay. I don't know that one. I do. Oh, so this one, this here's the adult contemporary hit of the day. K.D. Lang, Constant Craving. Oh, such a good song. Oh, I loved that song. Um, en Vogue one for Free Your Mind. Oh, I love that. I love that song, and I loved them at the time. Man, they were just amazing, and their videos were amazing. They were great. So they won R&B video, choreography, and dance video. They won three awards. Wow. Um, they actually won the most awards this year. That's awesome. Yeah. And then um, new artist was Stone Temple Pilots. Oh, wow. They're great. I like them. Yeah, I did really enjoy them later in life. As I said, I wasn't listening to them here now. Um, oh, and then did I mention Alice in Chains one? Oh, I like Alice in Chains also. Do you? I will never like them because of the one time I was working at a video store and I thought the guy said he was looking for someone named Alice in Chains and I was looking... I was trying to help him find an album in the C section. and then, That's right. And then he judged me, and I'd be like, you're the one who doesn't know the alphabet and can't find your own fucking CD in the A section. Oh my goodness, that's such a sad story. I feel so bad for you. Oh my god, he was such a judgmental little twat, and so I'll never listen to Allison Chains. I'll never listen to her ever, Miss Allison, uh, if all of her fans act like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that, what else did you have to say about the MTV VMA Awards? That was it. I mostly just wanted to talk about RuPaul and Milton Berle and their famous feud because it's a big highlight of my young life and it was relevant in 1993. Well, RuPaul is definitely our queer of the year for 1993 and an advocate for speaking up when someone has wronged you. Absolutely. When someone wrongs me in private, I love airing it to the world. Yeah. Actually, I don't do that. I mostly just yell at people in private. Um, I'm going to make a more concerted effort to get through Dr. Sleep. Like I, like we've mentioned, uh, quarantine brain can have an effect on your um, your interest in reading, um, and so can Stephen King. So I've been struggling, but I'm going to work on it. Stephen King's really making me struggle. I've read almost a book a day, other uh, children's books, but I've read almost like 100 pages a day, none of them from Dr. Sleep, over the last couple of weeks. Um, because those books are good and Dr. Sleep is bad. And I skim one chapter of Dr. Sleep every morning so that I will finish it. And mostly I'm just relying on my memory of the movie. Well, this has been a really good gross bit. 
Yeah, we learned lots of stuff about 1993, and it was a it was a hell of a year. This was a hell of a year. It multiple things blew up, including uh, what little respect we still had for Milton Berle, if any. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, where can people reach us if they have any comments on? their favorite events in 1993. <laughs> if someone woke up this morning and was like, oh my God, 1993, what a year. And now they're listening to this podcast and they've just been itching to tell someone about it. Where can they share this information? They can reach out to us via email at the gross one at outlook.com, or they can go to iTunes and leave us a review. Also, I would be remiss if I did not mention that Vincent Price also died in 1993 from lung cancer. Oh, rest, 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 I can't do a Vincent Price voice. Rest in peace, Vinny. Um, I was a big fan. And one place you cannot find us is on Facebook, because fuck Facebook and delete your account. Exactly. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Gross Misinterpretation. Yes, thank you, everyone. And thank you, Chance, for helping me with my Facebook dilemma. And uh, I will see you next Wednesday. Yes, I will continue to be your Facebook sobriety sponsor. We will mark this day, and I will give you a chip next month. Thank you. Or maybe a Pringle. We'll see. I will look forward to it. All right. Bye. Bye.